pray today that the things that are going to be said will be so impactful that you're going to take your word, you're going to fulfill your purpose in sending it, you're going to set captives free, you're going to empower and impact our lives, Lord, and I pray that when we are attacked in this area of our lives, that we will have the skills and understanding to address these challenges that we are all faced with from time to time, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. I think like David, we can all say that we've had moments where we've cried out to God and wondered where God was. I think we can all say that. David in Psalm 13 says, Lord, how long will you continually forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? This is actually a cry of where are you, God, in the middle of my mess? Anybody relate to this prayer? Yeah, you ever wondered, you know, why is God allowing me to go through this? Why is God taking so long to answer this prayer? We've questioned. Goes on to say, how long will I store up anxious concerns? The NIV says, wrestle with my thoughts. But the Hallman Christian Standard Translation says, how long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. How long will my enemy dominate me. Now, you know, we could say that's a physical enemy, but we could also say it's also a spiritual, emotional, mental enemy that torments my mental well-being. I think we're living in a culture today. We're battling with lots of anxiety. Anxiety seems to be a major problem in our culture today. You ever thought about that? Why do you think this society today is struggling with so much anxiety? The answer, simply put, is that as a culture, I'm not saying you as an individual, as a culture, we have really abandoned God and we're trying to figure out life apart from God and so the pressure's on us. And how many know we, was, we were never designed by God to handle this challenge of living life apart from him. Jesus said, if you come to me, I will give you life and I will give it to you in its fullness. You'll experience abundance of life. What amazing promise. And yet so many people forfeit that amazing life that Jesus promises. We're living with time pressures today like never before. We've, we're just so time-oriented. And it seems like we can never go fast enough, do enough. We always seem to be late for something. How many know what I'm talking about? There's just too much to do. And then we have financial tensions, and we look at the economy, and we looked at what's happened recently, and many people are struggling there. People are struggling with relational conflicts. I was reading the other day uh, that, you know, like 38% of marriages in Canada end in failure. That's a high percentage, you know, so there's relational tensions. And not just between spouses, there's tensions between siblings. There's tensions, you know, between family members and people trying to learn how to work together and get along. There's lots of tension. There's medical issues, people struggling with all kinds of medical problems, and those create thoughts in our minds and creates anxiety in our hearts and there's fears for many about the future what does my future hold I can be a young person wondering what's about to happen I can be an older person wondering how this is going to play out and many of these things rob us of the life that Jesus promised Jesus said you know he's come to give us you know life more abundantly he's come to give us joy he's come to give us peace he's come to give us hope and yet so often that's not how we're living our lives Often some of these things that happen to us are beyond our control. But we can honestly say what isn't beyond our control is how we're going to handle what's happening to us. That's within our control. 
In other words, how am I going to respond to these things that are happening to me? You know, how did the psalmist handle it? I want you to just notice briefly, because we're going to go to the Sermon on the Mount, but I'm introducing the idea that anxiety can happen to very spiritual people. It's not because I'm not a spiritual person that I'm battling anxiety at times. I would consider that every one of us have moments in our life where anxiety attacks us. David had anxiety, expressing it here in Psalm 13. Paul talks about anxiety in Philippians chapter 4. Obviously, he had lots of issues and concerns, and that led to anxious thoughts in his mind. But here in the psalmist, he says this. Now, I want you to notice how he handles it. First of all, he's praying. The psalm is actually a prayer. It's a psalm, but it's a prayer. He's praying. And Paul says in Philippians, you know, don't be anxious in anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. So obviously the first response to things that trouble us, things that worry us, things that create anxiety in our hearts is that you and I would pray about it. We'd come to God in prayer. And then I read here in verse 5, he says, but I trusted in your faithful love. In other words, there was a knowledge about God's goodness and God's love toward us that David could say, my next response was, I prayed and then I trusted. How powerful is that? And we're going to see today when Jesus talks about anxiety, he's going to zero in on the root problem and we're going to see it as we struggle with trust issues. And that's what it always comes down to. A lot of us in this room, we have trust issues. We struggle with trusting people or we struggle with trusting even God. And Jesus will talk about that to us. And then he says, my heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. In other words, we pray, we trust, and then we rejoice. You know, we need to start acting as if God's going to answer the prayer. How many believe that there's not one problem on this planet God cannot solve? Not one. You guys believe that? God can solve every problem. You know what? Why don't we just start thanking him for solving our problems even before they're solved? Why don't we get to that place where we actually pray believing that God is going to answer this prayer because he's more than able to solve this issue in our lives and we don't have to keep carrying it. Because you know what happens sometimes when we focus on our problems? Just like a circular saw, you know? We just keep thinking about it over and over and over again. And we just don't seem to be getting anywhere ahead. But all of a sudden, to be able to let this stuff go in our minds and actually come to a place of rest. My prayer today for you is that you're going to leave in the shalom of God, the peace of God that passes human understanding. You're going to walk out of here going, man, I, nothing changed except for me. But what changed inside of me makes all the difference in the world. I actually now am trusting God and I have peace in my heart. The anxieties have lifted. That's my prayer for you today. So what's the real answer to anxiety? Is it a medical problem? Or is it something far deeper? If anxiety is also a spiritual problem, which the Bible tells us it is, then a spiritual solution also needs to, will be needed to help us overcome this terrible tyrant in our lives. I'm going to argue today it's not just a medical problem, folks. It's intrinsically and at the root a spiritual problem. That does not mean that ultimately it doesn't affect us physiologically. I think, you know, panic attacks are real. It's true. Some people suffer so deeply with anxiety, they have panic attacks. 
That's a physiological problem. That's how deeply that anxiety has taken root and it's affected our emotional, mental, and even physiological well-being. And yet the root issue is still spiritual in nature. And here's what you need to know. A number of years ago, I took a course in my graduate studies. It was entitled Affective Disorders. That's a nice word for depression. And I was taught by a medical MD, a medical doctor who also had a degree in psychology. And this is what he said. He said, if we only treat things medically with drugs, he says, we never solve the root problems. We may treat the symptoms, but we're not dealing with the root problems. And so it's not that we don't treat people medically. And, and sometimes we need to be treated medically. Sometimes our anxieties are so deep or our problems are so deep, it's affected our physiology and we can't even think straight. So you can't even reason with people. You can't even talk to them. They're so locked into their problem. But he said, eventually though, you have to sit down and talk about what's created the problem in the first place and get to some of those root issues. And generally, they are spiritual in nature. We need to understand that. The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said it so well, no grand inquisitor has in readiness such terrible torture as anxiety or worry. Today, people consume tranquilizers and sedatives by the ton and are running to counselors by the millions. In other words, this is a big issue. That's all he's saying. He's saying this is, this is you know, the culture today. I would describe it as a culture filled with anxiety. This is an anxious culture. That's the best way to describe the culture. And it's because we all feel like we gotta do something. We all feel like we're responsible. Well, that's good that you feel responsible. We're gonna talk about sometimes we overdo it with that level of sensing responsibility. So, what does Jesus have to say regarding this issue of anxiety and worry? In Matthew chapter six, verses 25 to 34, we're gonna read these verses and look at the words of Jesus. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is, life, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So now Jesus is making an argument from the lesser to the greater. He's saying if God can take care of the birds... God can take care of you. That's what he's saying. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? What's the rhetorical answer? No, we can't add. All the worrying in the world is not going to add days to your life. I would argue it'll subtract days to your life. Okay? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothed the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So what is Jesus saying? He's saying this anxiety about the future, this anxiety about what we possess, this anxiety about dealing with, you know, meeting our needs is actually an issue of trusting God. Will we trust God? And God is saying, basically, look, I take care of the birds, I take care of the grass. You know, if I take care of those two things which have a lot less value in God's economy and in his mind because humanity is actually the crowning glory of his creation. How much more will he take care of us? 
He says here, so do not worry saying what we shall eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans run after these things. He's saying this is what atheists do. This is what people who have no faith in God do. You see, he's challenging us not to become practical atheists. In other words, you know, not to truly trust God. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now God is saying, here's where I want you to focus your minds. Because isn't it true that, you know, we are material people, we live in a material world, and it's so easy to get locked into the material. And what Jesus is saying is you can't just focus on that. That's important. We're going to see that in a minute. It is important. It's not that Jesus is saying, no, don't, don't do anything about it. He's not saying that. But he said, seek first. He says, this is the priority. The spiritual life must be first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. In other words, what is right in God's eyes? And all of these things will be given to you as well. In other words, if you put the right things first, the other things follow. In other words, if you put the things of God first, if you put the spiritual life in its proper priority, in first place in your heart, God says, you know what? Everything else will fall into place. It'll all fall into place. God will take care of you. That's the important thing. Then he says this, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So it's not like Jesus is saying, Oh no, there's, there's no reason not to worry in a sense, because he's saying, Yeah, I know there's trouble, but worrying about the trouble isn't going to solve the trouble. It's just adding to the trouble. He's saying, no, there's a better way to address our troubles. That's what he's telling us there. So he's not talking here about a detachment or, you know, or a person who cares, you know, has, has a, I, I, I don't care about what's happening in life. He's not talking about that kind of an attitude. As a matter of fact, Ken Hughes points out there's a type of good worry or good concern or perhaps, uh, you know, that, that all of us should have, especially healthy people have. For example, Luther says we are to be anxious about the spiritual well-being of others and points to Paul as the example in 2 Corinthians where he says, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So here's what we need to understand. If I can look at it this way, just follow me for a moment here. Here's a road, okay? Here's the road. We have what we call healthy concerns, but when we go over to this ditch called anxiety and worry, we're not on the road anymore. This is an overly concern about things. This is a lack of real trust in God. He's not telling us to be indifferent, which is the other ditch. You know, a lot of people go, I never have an anxious bone in my body. Yeah, but you're not concerned about anybody or anything. That's, you know, that's the other extreme. I'm totally indifferent and apathetic. No, that's not what he's telling us about. That's the other ditch. Now, how many know you can drive into one ditch or the other, but the thing God's trying to get us to do is get in the middle and drive on the road. And that means that I'm neither worrying nor indifferent. I have a healthy concern, but it's not so great that it paralyzes me and it creates uh, all kinds of fear in my life. You know, a lot of us are fearful. That's what, you know, that's some of the root of this thing. You know, we're afraid of what tomorrow holds. We're afraid if we don't do this or afraid of this or that. And the Bible says this, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of what? A sound mind. God wants us to be 
healthy emotionally and mentally and spiritually. He wants us to be healthy, and we need to understand that. So, so Jesus here is counseling us against worry because at its root, it is a lack of trust in God. We need to know that. Now, sometimes, you know, we can... I don't think it's wrong to have a concern about things or to try to do things well. Ken Hughes says something very interesting. He uses this illustration. He's a preacher. He said, the distinction is sometimes very subtle. A preacher might be honestly concerned about his sermon that will be, one, true to the text, two, practical, three, spoken in the power of the Spirit, and number four, spoken in love. That's good. Or he might simply be worried about his reputation. The first is healthy and godly, the second is not. So a lot of times when we're upset about things or concerned about things, we have to ask ourselves, what is driving me? What am, what's, what am I concerned about? Okay? So a lot of times our concerns are unhealthy or they're unwarranted. Uh, can I just say this to all of us here, especially people a little bit older, and I hear this sometimes, you know, I wish my kids were doing this or I wish my grandkids were doing that. Can I just tell you something? God's more concerned about your kids and grandkids than you are, number one. They belong to him, not you. You were just loaned them for a while. And uh, God's more concerned about them. And how many here can honestly say that before you were a Christian, people were concerned about you? Yeah. Right? And I look at my life before I was a Christian. I look at where I'm at today. If I, I look back at my life, I go, buddy, you need a lot of help. You need to get squared away here. You're not making the right choices. You're making bad decisions. How many are tracking with me? But you know, somewhere by the grace of God, I had a moment where I awakened to my stupidity and folly and realized I was broken and I needed a redeemer called Jesus to save me. And he came along and did that. And he's been working on me ever since. Aren't you glad for that? Praise God. And isn't that true about you? <clears throat> isn't that true about you? And aren't you glad God got a hold of you? And God can get a hold of them. So let's not be anxious about it. Amen? Amen. Well, yeah, God's working on them. So let's just sit back and let God do his job. So let's take a look at three kinds, three reasons why we shouldn't have anxiety ruling in our life, okay? And I talk about, you know, basically the kind of worry or anxiety that really is an expression of practical atheism. What I mean by that is, when we carry on as if God doesn't exist. Yeah. Sometimes we say we believe in God, but we act like he does exist. Let's just, he does exist. Let's just trust him. Okay, first of all, life consists of more than our temporal needs. How many know that's true? Yeah. It's more, there's more to life than just the things we have. We have to have a why for living and not just how to live. We need to have a purpose. We need to have meaning. We need to have significance. How many have ever watched... Uh, the movie Ants. You know, anybody watch Ants? Oh, yeah. Hey, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you're going to be watching a lot of these kind of movies. Isn't that true? Yeah, you're watching with your kids and stuff. So anyways, Ants. It's kind of a neat movie. You know, there's camera kind of zooms in. He goes down below the grass surface, zip down into the dirt, and there's a colony of ants. And immediately, we're struck because the main character is an ant by the name of Z. And he's lying on a leaf couch and he's talking to his therapist. <laughs> he says, all my life I've lived and worked in the big city. I've always told myself there's got to be something better out there. Maybe, maybe I think too much. I think everything must go back to the fact that I was a very anxious child. 
My mother never had time for me. I mean, when you're the middle child of a family of five million, you don't get any attention. I mean, how is that possible? I've always had these abandonment issues which plagued me. And my father was basically a drone, like I said. The guy flew away when I was just a larva. And my job, don't get me started on that because it really annoys me. I mean, I'm not cut out to be a worker. I mean, I feel physically inadequate. My whole life, I've never been able to lift more than 10 times my body weight. And when you get down to it, handling dirt is not my idea of a rewarding career. I mean, what is it? I'm supposed to do something for the colony? What about my needs? What about me? I mean, I've got to believe there's some place out there that's a lot better than where I'm at today. The whole system makes me feel insignificant. Well, that's a very powerful statement. You know, that's what most people feel like. They feel trapped, trying to make ends meet. And I think if we don't have a compelling purpose that transcends this world, if we're living as if one more person keeping the system going, then despair eventually overwhelms us. The response of the therapist in the movie reveals the sense of futility most live with in our society because we don't have that compelling vision that transcends this world. Folks, can I just say this if you're a child of God? You have a compelling vision that transcends this world. You have a reason for living that's way beyond what this life is offering us. But let me move back to ants for a minute. So the therapist responds to Z. Excellent, you're making a real breakthrough, Z. He says, yes, you are insignificant. <laughs> wow, you know. But how many know that's not God's viewpoint? You know, listen to what God says about us. What is man or woman that you are mindful of them, the son of man that you care for? In other words, God is saying, you know, who are we as people that God cares so much about us? Do you know we are the crowning achievement of his creation? We are made in the image of Almighty God. We are his offspring. It's amazing. And so how many know that God who's amazing, cares about every detail of our lives, and he knows what's going on in your life. He knows the big things, the little things. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what's happened. That's, a, that's amazing to me. So you are significant to God. Well, then we see the sh scene shift in the movie Ants again, million worker ants running around the tunnels. And then in an assembly line style, one newborn ant is labeled worker, he's given a pick the next one's labeled soldier, given a military helmet. And then Z goes to his workstation and he says to himself, okay, I've got to keep a positive attitude. I have a good attitude. Even if I'm utterly insignificant, I'm insignificant but with an attitude. <laughs> well, you know, that's kind of a tragic way of looking at life. And I think a lot of people feel like they're just kind of bumbling through and somehow it all depends on us. And here's the good news, folks. It doesn't all depend on you and me. How many are so thankful that you and I can lay our burdens down at the feet of the cross? We can lay it to Jesus and say, you know what, I need help here. I just can't do this without your assistance. As a matter of fact, if it's all left up to me, we've got problems, Houston. There's going to be, there's going to be a lot of difficult, difficult things happening. But I can appeal to God and ask him for help in my life. And that's what's so amazing. So Jesus goes on to say here, he challenges us with that attitude that life consists of more than just the earthly stuff of life. How many are glad for that? There's more to it than that. And he says, don't worry about these things. 
what you're going to eat or drink, about your body, what you're going to wear. He says, is not life more important than food and, and the body more important than clothes? So do not worry. Biblical scholar D.A. Carson says, Jesus has been minimizing the ultimate significance of material possessions. That's what he's doing. And you know what? He said you cannot serve God and mammon earlier. And no doubt not a few among his hearers find themselves wondering, well, yeah, but what about the necessities of life? Isn't that a good question? You go, hey, you know, people go, yeah, you don't need money. A lot, a lot, first thing that's going to come out of your mouth is, yeah, you do. You need to buy some food for the table. You've you got to wear something. And Jesus is practical. He goes, I get it. Yes, that's true. But that's not the goal of life. See, that's what he's moving us off of. It's all very well to turn your back on wealth when you're rich, but when I've got a wife and children, I can barely provide them with food, clothing, and shelter. What are you saying to me? Can I just say that when Jesus was talking to these people, they were living just above subservience. You know, they, he wasn't talking to an affluent society. He was telling people, listen, the things of this life is not what you should be pursuing, though you, I know you need them. God the Father knows you need these things, and he will help you get those things. But that's not the goal of life. That's what Jesus is telling us. So in effect, Jesus answers that just as earthly possessions can become an idol, which dethrones God by becoming disproportionately important, so also can earthly needs become a source of worry, which dethrones God by fostering a lack of trust. So Jesus is reminding us, life is more than just acquiring what's temporary. We're challenged not to live as unbelievers who pursue after temporal things and are blinded to the eternal spiritual realities. The key to overcoming worry is to have a one greater goal in life, okay? So let's just say, what am I shooting at? What's my goal in life? And I think C.S. Lewis reminds us the glory of God and our only means to glorifying him, the salvation of human souls, is the real business of life. And what Lewis is saying is, here's what we should be living for. I'm here to glorify God. And number two, my concern is people. I need to make people the focal point. And I need to be concerned not only about their temporary well-being, which we should be concerned about. I think it's important to help people that are poor and needy. I don't have any problem with that. I think we should. I think if you're a godly person, James says you're going to take care of the widows and the orphans and their afflictions, right? It says that in the book of James. But can I just say this? That we should be equally, if not more, concerned about their eternal well-being. Because every human being is eternal and we should be concerned that they would get to know the one who could transform their lives. That we would help them get to know the one who can help them pass their anxieties. That we could help them go to the same father we have and know this with assurance that God loves and cares for them. That would be a worthy object to live life for. Let me just skip over this stuff. These are all illustrations. But let me move on to point number two. Second reason not to worry or be anxious is that God places a high value on our life as believers. Wow. He uses two illustrations, birds and flowers. And basically what he says is, hey, and I've already said it, people are the most important. What is even nearer to the heart of God is, that he, is his own children. How many say that's probably true? How many here can say, you know what, I love, I love kids, but I love my own kids more? Yeah. I think that's fair. Isn't that true? Well, I think God and the Father could say, I love people, but I love my kids more. Yeah. And I think he does. 
That's why Paul could argue in the book of Romans, if Christ died for you while you were yet sinners, how much more now that you have been bought with the blood of Christ will he's willing to do this for you? In other words, your family. Yeah, let's get that in our heads. We've been brought into this amazing family. So then he goes on to say here, look at the birds. They're not sowing or reaping or stowing away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? He's comparing a lesser, the birds, to a greater, us. He's saying if God takes care of the lesser, won't he take care of the greater? And the answer is obviously he will. And we need to understand that. Then he says, why are you worrying about clothes? He said, hey, he says, God puts in the field these beautiful flowers to adorn it. He said, why can't God take care of your needs and help you there? Corey Ten Boone, who was a concentration survivor, <laughs> she said this once. It's really powerful. She says, when I worry, I go to the mirror and say to myself, this tremendous thing which is worrying me is beyond a solution. It is especially too hard for Jesus Christ to handle. And after I said, say that, I smile and I am ashamed. Because what she's saying is when I'm worrying, what I'm basically saying is this is just, I have to handle this. This is too much for God to take on. You know? And folks, why are we doing that? You know, it's not that we're, we're, we're divorcing ourselves from responsibility. Why don't we just come to God and say, hey, this is, this is above my pay grade. You know, you ever said that? God, this is above my pay grade. I need a little help here. If you don't show up, I'm hooped, you know. And uh, I, I've just noticed one thing about God. He's really good about enjoying the fact that you and I are willing to come to him and say, hey, I need a little assistance here. He likes that. <clears throat> and we acknowledge that we're dependent on him because we really are. We really are. When we're worrying, we're forgetting about our Heavenly Father's ability to provide and care for us. We don't need to be anxious for that reason. And then he begins by pointing to God's provision for the wild birds. Now, what doesn't this mean? Because sometimes we take this, these verses and then we just become indifferent and apathetic. So then he says this. What Jesus does not mean needs to be said to. He's not calling us to laziness or indolence, which means avoiding work. You know, some people go, I'm just going to trust God. I don't need to do anything. <clears throat> That's a passive attitude. He goes on to say, birds themselves instinctively make provision for the future. It's inside of them to fly around taking care of building a nest, feeding the babies. You know, how many know that's what they do? In fact, some argue that no creature works harder than the birds. They're always busy. Neither does the example of birds teach us that if we trust God, every day will be smooth sailing. How many know that's true? Because it doesn't work that way. As a matter of fact, there are a few birds, he points out, that sometimes starve, sometimes are eaten by predators, and certainly they all die in a short span. So he's saying, in general, God's taking care of these birds. But specifically, there's people that, you know, because sometimes we take these illustrations, we try to apply it to every situation. And then we go, oh, it doesn't work. Look at that poor dead bird. Why didn't, you know, God take care of it? You know, this is how we think. No, it's a general illustration, folks. The idea is that God is taking care of the bird family. Okay? And sometimes as, as individuals, we can say, well, yeah, but you know, it looks like God's taking care of everybody else on the planet but me, you know? And that's the wrong thinking. What God is doing, 
number one is he's trying to develop something inside of us. See, I think we have to settle a few questions in our mind. Here's question number one. Is God sovereign? In other words, is God in control? How many think God's in control? Okay, so if God's in control, how many think God is loving? Because the Bible teaches that. How many think God is good? Bible teaches that. So if God is in control, he's good and he's loving, and he's allowing trouble into your life, does that mean that God stopped being good, loving, and in control? No. And actually, what it's teaching us is for some reason, God's allowing us to go through this experience for a reason. And then we have to think like the Apostle Paul, who says in the book of Romans, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called to according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Then it says this, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It doesn't say for everything, it says in everything. I think there's a little bit of a difference there. You know, I don't walk around going, oh, I'm so thankful for cancer. No, but in spite of cancer, in the cancer we can thank God for his goodness. And God can keep working in spite of the challenges that are in our life because God's maybe working in even greater good, not just in our lives, but in the lives of many people around us and some of them who we don't even realize who are watching us handle the thing that God's letting us walk through and we're glorifying God even in our trouble. It's not just about us all the time. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Sometimes our trouble has got nothing to do with us well, I think it does. I think he's maturing and helping us learn about him, but I think it's also for other people's sake as well. So we're growing through that experience. And I've discovered one thing, you know, I'm not that bright, but I, I do know that sometimes we have to do things that are difficult in order to grow as a person. You know, one of the things that I try to do to stay healthy is I have weights. I try weightlifting. And you go, well, you know, weightlifting actually is you're tearing the muscle. Why do you do that? So you can get bigger muscle. You're getting strength. So sometimes God lets us go through pressure in order to strengthen us. We go, this doesn't make any sense, Pastor. Why would God let me go through this to strengthen me? That's the process. And this is what starts happening. How many here can look back now and say, oh yeah, I remember a few years ago, I went through this terrible time. I didn't know how I was gonna make it. I was worried, I was anxious, I was stressed out, I was crying, I thought God hated me. And then all of a sudden I survived and I got through it and man, God was so good and I learned all these amazing lessons. And next time I have a trial, I go, oh, I know this. I've been here before. God didn't leave me in the last one. He's gonna stick with me in this one. I don't know how he's gonna work it out this time, but I just know God's good, he's in control and he's a loving person and it's going to work out. It's just going to happen that way. Something good is going to come out of this. How many know the story Sherlock Holmes? You know, know who he is, Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson? There's an interesting little excerpt in one of the stories of Sherlock Holmes. Um, so Sherlock is looking at a rose and he says something very interesting. He says to... Uh, his, uh, Dr. Watson, his associate, he goes, our highest assurance of the goodness of providence, that's another name of talking about God, providence, but our highest assurance of the goodness of God, I'm going to say it that way, seems to me to rest in the flowers. Of all good things, our powers, our desires, our food are really necessary for our existence in the first instance, but this rose is an extra. In other words, rose is you don't eat, you know? 
see, he's saying God has provided something as beautiful as a rose for what? Our enjoyment. You know, that should encourage us the goodness of God. There's, God doesn't just give us what we need. How many can honestly say that God has actually done better by you than just giving you what you need? Anybody could say he's done a little better for you than just giving your basic necessities? How many can honestly admit, yeah, God's a little better for me. I feel, you know, he's been pretty good to me. Every hand should be up here. I don't get you guys. You can't be telling me you're that hard done by. Come on now. Let's be honest. God's been good to you. You know? Yeah, we have to admit that, right? Let me move on to the third point. Third reason we should not worry or be anxious is that there are no positive benefits to it. Okay? No positive benefits. How many know anxiety and worry keeps us from enjoying the gift called life? Number one. Number two, we move from being celebrants to complainers. How many know that's true? Number three, it paralyzes us and doesn't give us energy. It de-energizes us. Isn't that true? How many say that is true? Worrying's taken all the energy out of me. It's sapping my energy. It's sapping my joy. It's, you know, there's nothing exciting about it. Right? Come on now. And all the while, what am I doing? I'm trying to figure out how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And I'm going, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Just a thought. Maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Maybe God should be doing it. You know, maybe he should be handling that. Okay? Jesus points out that worrying doesn't help whatsoever. Verse 27. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? What's the, what's the, that's a rhetorical question. What's the right answer? Who can add one hour to your life by worrying and being filled with anxiety? What's, no one. I would even argue you probably lost a few days. Right? You're probably going the opposite way. Okay. Number two, another reason why worry is counterproductive is it robs us of energy that is needed for living life today. Amen. Listen to what he says in verse 34. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, I have a theory. I could be wrong. You can correct me. But this is my theory. My theory is this, that every day God measures out to you and to me the exact amount of grace needed for this day. He doesn't give me extra grace for today. He doesn't go, oh, Paul, I'm going to give you extra grace. I know you're going to need it tomorrow. I don't think he does it that way. I don't think he's, I think what he's doing is he's saying, you know, when tomorrow shows up, the grace will be there for that day. How many think that's an amazing thought? If you just think about that. So whatever tomorrow holds... I know there'll be grace there for it. You know, and one of the greatest illustrations of this was found by a name of a man of John Huss. He was going to be martyred for his faith. He didn't want to recant. He said, no, I believe in Jesus, and I believe that we're justified by faith. And so they, they took him, and he, and he was in his jail cell the night before they were going to burn him. They were going to put him on a pile, you know, stake him out, and light him on fire. So Husk, now he's, he knows what's going to happen to him. So he's sitting there in his jail cell, and there's a candle light, and he's writing. And all of a sudden, he has this thought, how am I going to handle tomorrow? So he sticks his hand over the flame. Do you know what happened? It hurt. He pulled his hand away. And then the Spirit of God spoke to him, and he said, not today, Tomorrow. What the Spirit of God was saying is you're worrying about something today that when you need it for tomorrow, that grace will be there. Do you know what happened when they burned him? He was singing praises to God from the stake. 
You say, how in the world could he do that? God's grace. See, you and I are so fixated on trying to control things, have things all organized, have it all figured out, and then we get all out of shape when things don't go to plan. Any amens to that? Amen. See, why don't we just relax a little bit and let God's grace be there when we need it. I'm gonna close with these, th- these couple of thoughts. What should we do when we're attacked by anxiety and worry? What do I do when I have anxious thoughts? By the way, every one of us will be attacked in this area. Okay, I like what Corey Tamboom. Worry does not empty tomorrow, but sorrow it empties today of its strength. That's a good quote. I remind myself that my focus has moved from the solution to the problem, and I need to return to that place of spiritual rest, which is found here in Isaiah 26. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Where should our mind be? On the solution. By the way, who is the solution? Oh, Jesus or God. See, in your Sunday school, 90% of the time you say Jesus is the right answer. It's the right answer. You know, keep your mind on him. By the way, when your mind goes on Jesus, what does it start thinking? Well, you know, this is no big thing for God. If, you know, if God was in my place, this is not even a problem to him. Come on now. This is no biggie to him. It's a biggie to me, but it's no biggie to him. He can handle this. I'm just turning it over. I'm turning the problem over to him, okay? Number two, praying with thanksgiving, thereby committing the challenges to God. Listen to what... Uh, Oh, Patty gave me this. I got I to read this one. The other day I was going through a lot of stuff and she just puts this piece of paper on my thing. I don't know where she got it, but I liked it. She says, don't get worked up about what God is already working out. How many like that? Yeah. That's pretty good. Isn't that kind of what we do? Okay. Pray with thanksgiving, thereby committing the challenge to God. Philippians, one of my favorite books of the entire Bible, and this is probably my favorite chapter, four. Do not be anxious about anything. How many here have ever been anxious about something? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Then what happens? And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Does anxiety and worry fit into that list? Why are we thinking about those things? Do problems fit into that list? No, not really. I gotta go back to what he says. He says, commit the problem to God. So we're not in denial. And then thank God as if the problem has been solved and focus on this. And you know what's going to happen? Bye-bye, anxiety. How many want to put anxiety to bed? You want to put it to rest. You want to be free from this tyrant that comes invading into our lives. Anybody up for that? Let's stand. All right. How many here can say, you know what? There's a few things wiggling on my mind right now. Anybody got? Are there things on your mind right now? Come on, let's be honest. Anything on your mind right now? Where are we going to give this to? We're going to give it to Jesus. And what are we going to do? We're going to thank him. And why are we going to thank him? Because he took it. And not only that, he can solve it. 
Because obviously, you and I can't solve it because we're anxious about it. Are we catching on? You know, my prayer for you right now, I want to pray that all anxiety, Father, would flee right now in Jesus' name. My prayer, Father, for my brothers and sisters and everyone in the hearing of my voice right now, that they will find freedom from the torment and the worry the frustrations the problems that they have right now we're just going to lift them to you we just give them to you right now Father and what we're receiving in return is joy and hope and peace and strength and wisdom and the grace we need for this day and when tomorrow's challenge comes, we already have the assurance, Father. We have grace for that. You're going to provide for our needs. You're going to feed us. You're going to clothe us. You're a good Father. We're going to live with the right priority. We're going to live with meaning and significance. Your kingdom first. We want to do what's right in your eyes and we're going to seek your kingdom. And Lord, when we do that, you said to us, you're going to make sure all of our needs are met. That's your promise to us. If I put you first, Father, if I seek your kingdom first and I seek after your righteousness, I do what's right in your eyes, I have the assurance in my heart that every physical, psychological, emotional, and material need will be met. I want to thank you for that right now. I want to thank you for that promise. And you're not a liar. You're able to do this, not only for me, but for every one of my brothers and sisters right now. We're just receiving this. And right now, I pray that the spirit of peace would come over their hearts. I pray that joy in the Holy Spirit would fill their souls. I pray, Father, when they leave this place, they will feel like they're running through a troop and leaping over that wall. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.